0: I'd like to thank Robert Garellic for coming and firing us. Everybody knows Robert Garellic. So, please. Sorry, it's Friday. Uh, it's Friday. Yeah, right <laughs> you're not gonna get it. <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, Unless it's Garellic. <laughs> 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 that have it? Just because it's from Italy doesn't make it got to have it's got to have special It must be on your public. Okay. <laughs> I'm a very proud Italian. Not only when it comes to wine. Okay. When I came to Oloteta, I came from America, from Italy. I was only, my parents were sent to Italy before I was born. I was 10 and a half when I went overseas. I was just a little Italian boy, Balabatish, ended up in Oloteta. I don't think anybody can imagine what kind of culture shock that is. Oloteta today is not Oloteta 40 years ago. And one of the first words that I heard, you know, they would call me names, was the name mafia. I have to admit, that while I was growing up in Italy, I never heard the word, believe it or not. And the reason is, because, those of you who know a little bit the uh, structure, Italy has a north and a south. The north is industrial, and the south is more the farmland. We live in the north, Milan, right next to Switzerland. And the farmland at the bottom is where the simple people are, and that is where the Mafia system is.
1: Now they operate
0: in America, and in Russia, those days. But not in Italy, so that's why I never heard of them. When everybody started calling me mafia, 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 so I said, I want to find out a little bit more what this is. In Manhattan, there's a place called Little Italy. So that's where I used to hang out. You know, I mean, I turned out to be like this anyways, but... Uh, <laughs> and I used to hear all kinds of things. One of the stories that they said, which is Negeta tonight, that there was this mafioner who was going to get married, So, a week before the Hasana, he goes to the uh, Gala. By the way, everything that Goyim do in their religion, I'm talking about the Christians, I'm not talking about all the religions. But anything that the Christians do in anything religious, everything comes from the Yiddin. There's nothing Has Shalom that the Yiddin took from the Goyim, as they want to say regarding certain issues. Whether it's Shia or other things that the Yidden Cholilah took from the God. the Guide, the whole concept of Second Coming, Medala and the all comes the way they explain it. All comes from the Yidden. I've had to do as a kid with Galochim, churches, There's nothing new, and the main thing that used to bother them always, I used to tell them, your top guy is Jewish, and when any Jew goes to the hospital in Italy. Every room has a chef on the wall with a guy hanging like this. And the Jews take it off and put it in the drawer. And when the nurse comes in and says, what happened to... Whatever. What's the answer that we always give? You don't want to have two Jews in one room themselves. One is enough. Okay? That's the bottom line. So, there's a story with this mafionet, he's about to get married, he calls over the gala. And the way it works over there, that they go, they also have al ala that says you go up to the altar, and then the Galach reads a whole list of things to the Chassan, and he says, you're going to do this, and he says, I do, you're going to do this, I do, you're going to do this, I do, and then obviously they have a whole list of things. And one of the things is, I'm sorry, you're going to be faithful, I do, you're going to have only one wife, I do, you're going to do this, I do, I do, I do, they have like about 20 things. So this guy, this mafionaire, tells the gala, there's three lines I want you to take out. I don't want you to ask me those three questions, not in public. He says, because uh, you can't use say? I can't promise. Mm-hmm. So the gala says, I can't, I, I, this, this is the rule. So he, um, the guy pulls out 10,000 euros and he says, okay, and now? Just take out those three lines. No, the gala for no, 10,000 euros. Alright, the is going to take out those three lines. To make a long story short, they come under the chuppe. And then there's a thousand people standing there. And all of a sudden it comes to that line. Are you going to be faithful? And he goes, I do. Otherwise the whole wedding is off. And he's schwitzing buckets. And then he says, and, and you know, he started reading all those lines that he asked him to take out, and he leaves another one and another one. And then he says, And you're going to bring her the newspaper and coffee every morning? I do. <laughs> Anyways, the end of the comes the cocktail, and he sees the Gallup and he says, What did you do to me? What I gave you 10,000 euros. The Gallup, cool, calm, relaxed, takes up 10,000 euros. He says, Here, she gave me 15. <laughs> okay, this is a story that I heard when I was this <laughs> age from the times. By the Goyim, or La anywhere where it's not done al in there are no rules. There are no rules, there's not in no rules. The only place where there are rules is in Taiden. Okay? And that doesn't change because we don't ask the husband, I do do this masking, see this No. He says a very simple line. Harei Not you married to me. No, nobody's talking about marriage. Mikudashis. <laughs> Are you from Kedushis? How? There's someone else who makes the rules, not me and not you. Obviously, we're not going to discuss now the whole concept. Everyone knows husband and wife is called Ishma Isha. They're both the word Esh. We have a Yud in one, a K in the other. Zachum, Koh, is just with them. What's going on over here? The name is not Yudke. The name is Yudke Vovke. What happened to the Vovke? Up is Yudke. The very briefly, there is a Yudke, which shows on the above. Anybody remember the River of Scissors? Vovke shows on the world. The Vovke is in the Ksuba. There is no other, the Ksuba is a contract. But it's a very interesting name, Ksuba. Why is it called Ksuba? Because the word Ksuba is Ksav, what, There's the Ruchnius, then there's the Gashnius. In the Xubit there's nothing Ruchnius. It doesn't say in the Xubit that the husband will go down with a minion every morning. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say in the Xubit that the husband will make Hittish. Okay, I didn't tell him it's a snow. In the Xubit it says one thing which most men don't even know what it says in the Xubit. I bet you will bring down the and we'll start and dirt those dirty states. It's all in Aramaic. I don't know if they should have written it in the English. And but mainly, the guys do know what it says. It says, which means I will the husband takes upon himself. What is he going to do? He's going to respect. He's going to how do you say miakerside? He's going to I could say it in Italian. I don't know if I say it in English. I don't know if there's a word in English enough for that. How you have to what? honor. That is esteem. Okay? And just to give an example. That the moment there is yichur, there is esteem. Automatically, there's no negativism. The negativism happens. How to so, imagine if a big, very important person tells you something that you're not masking with, you don't agree with them. You're gonna stop fighting with them? No. You're gonna be in a very respectful way. You either say yes because you don't want to start up with, with the president of the United States, or a pastor, or you're going to say it in a very, very, very diplomatic way. You know, maybe a herahim. That's exactly how people, should, men should be with the wives and the wives with the husbands. That's what, that's what the tailor says. This is what you signed on under the kope, what you're going to be signing on. And I'll just finish off with a very simple example and a revolutionary idea. The simplest example is, you know, people always ask me, what do I hear when people call me with questions? Where are the fights? One time a Chinik fell on the floor came and will in the house. The husband says, you have to cash it. And the wife says, no. What's So they called it up. Unfortunately, at that time, they called me.
1: And they asked me, Rabbi Garelli,
0: are you supposed to cash it the Chaynik or not? So I said, I'm going to answer the question only if husband and wife come to me. Otherwise, I won't answer the question. They came. And I asked, well, what do you say? Yes. What do you say? No. I said, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. Why are you both wrong? You're not allowed to argue about something like this. You argue about it, you're wrong. There's a question. Is it a yes or is it a no? Don't argue. Call a third party. In this case it was a Shalem al called called the And the dog will say, no argument. You are allowed to defer one from the other. One says, let's go to this restaurant. That's what says, no, let's go to another restaurant. And you sit down and you work it out. But not argue. The moment you argue, this. Is what causes abuse. Abuse doesn't start from abuse. No and can right. abuse at the first day. Nishta, there's no such thing. You know they say when a guy opens up the door for a lady, right? Of the car, what does it mean? Either it's a new wife or it's a new car. Right? Farvas? Because the, the, the respect is just not there. It's nishta. The moment you have respect, you will not have that second part. If there's abuse, it's because there was no respect to begin with. And therefore, I'd like to finish Shofotelit. and it's not an original idea, because I saw it in other places. And therefore, I would like to introduce it here. Mir t'shashem. Everybody's going to be under a chuppah very soon. That before you go under the chuppah, Hassan and Khaled know beforehand who is a person who will be their mentor before and after there's no such thing going on it on your own. Nishtazazah. Amolik et like, and people went, this is it, this is how we go, and they went like this. I got letter. Today, Baruch Hashem, because we don't have the pressures of Amol, and on the contrary, we have the Rahvis, we have the, the, the abundance. So, a lot of things get lost, and that is why a lot of things get lost on the way. The moment there is someone who, a lot of times they need something to be clarified. There is nothing wrong with having a third party that he is objective, and he will admit and take care of it first. After the wedding, it's even more important. Because a bunch of that he knows it all, all of a sudden he comes after the wedding, and sometimes they, they think it's a new world, and he thinks he's the first person in history that ever got married. And the same thing with a girl. But it's normal. It's 100% true. Cool. And therefore, I would like to introduce this concept that they all should have a mentor, that the Chassin and the Kali should both agree when, right after they become Chassin, Kali, Mitzvah, have someone who they look up to. It could be a man, it could be a woman. It makes no difference. And that person will be the youth and the buff to make sure to bring it down into fruition. And when everything is done, I'll just say the hatera vamitzvah Mitzvah, automatically. We will never have to discuss any kind of abuse, and on the contrary, we are going to have kibekosh and yeah. Tserilom.
1: To be here. My name is David Cohn. I'm a licensed therapist. I'm um, a clinical social worker. I live in practice here in Brooklyn, not in Crown Heights, but in Brooklyn. Um, um, it's, a, it's an honor to be here on behalf of the Nanande Ad. And um, I commend all of you for being here, for being part of this program, and for taking the time to have the foresight, to have the wisdom to realize that um, prevention. Being able to educate yourselves and being able to understand important things, priceless important things, at this point in your life and preparing yourself for life is... um, How does the expression go? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So I think in this case an ounce of prevention is worth uh, many tons of cure. And um, unfortunately (coughs) most of my carnesa is made from people that are coming uh, way after the stage of prevention, when it's already at the stage of intervention. Um, the research shows that the average couple that goes to couples therapy comes seven years later than they should have been in therapy. Seven years after they really needed therapy. So most people that are coming for help with, with problems in relationships are coming when the problems have already been very, very well developed. And um, to be coming to educate yourselves, not to come for help, but to just learn and to sort things through and to explore and to understand before there's even a relationship or at the very, very beginning of the relationship is, 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 is nothing short of wise. So, good for you. Um, okay, so um, a little bit of how we're going to um, structure this tonight, just to give you a little bit of an outline. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the idea of prevention. I'm gonna talk about some of the common myths and misconceptions that people have sometimes about the idea of abuse and controlling behavior in relationships, what's fact, what's not fact. A lot of times people think a certain piece of information is true and it's not necessarily true. Certain things are true and it's important to know. So we'll get a little bit into that, um, and then from there we're going to talk about um, what are some of the what are, what are some of the variables? What are some of the um, the pointers that we need to know about that are unique for for guys, for males? What are some of the things that we need to know about specifically for women? What are some of the things that are really the same? It's not it's not about being a guy or a woman. It's about being a human being and understanding relationships, and having a healthy relationship together with your significant other as opposed to an unhealthy relationship. And then we'll talk a little bit about, a little topless, we'll get into the actual dating, what um, what are some of the things to look out for? And we'll talk about that in two ways. We'll talk about that in terms of, I'm speaking primarily to a male audience, what are some of the things to look out for in terms of within the girl that you're dating, potential troubling signs or concerns? Um, things to be aware of, things to be asking or to be understanding, and also within yourselves. What are some of the things to think about and to understand within yourselves? Um, nobody, um, neither gender has the monopoly on health, we, can have, we, can, we could be a healthy male, we could be an unhealthy male, we could be a healthy woman, we could be an unhealthy woman. So um, I think that the best way to really give you the, the best information is to focus on, on, on both. How can you be aware of the things, the warning signs or the, the symptoms, potentially, of concerns both within yourself and with someone that you're dating? And um, and then we'll leave time at the end for questions and answers, but I'm not very rigid about that. If, as I'm going along, people want to jump in with questions, unless I know that I'm going to cover it later on, then I'll be happy to stop and to answer the question, but if I know that I'll be covering it, then, then I'll let you know that and we'll keep on going. Okay, so. A very nice metaphor on mushle that I once heard about prevention is as follows. There was a town, and um, everybody lived very happily over there. very, very nice place to live, except for the fact that at some point in the town there was this very, very steep cliff. And um, nobody knew, unless you lived there, if you came to visit, you had no idea that there was this very steep cliff. So you're traveling down the road, and suddenly the road drops nowhere, and you go falling down the cliff. And there were many, many accidents. People were falling many, many feet down the cliff, either completely getting killed or very, very badly injured. So they, the, the, the town set up at the bottom of the cliff. They set up a little hospital um, and doctors to deal with all the injuries. Then one day, somebody got wise in the village and they said, you know, this is a little bit silly. We're waiting. By the time they come to the bottom of the cliff, they're either dead or they're very badly injured. Let's meet them about halfway up the cliff. There's a little bit of a place where we can try to catch their fall, and we'll try to intervene over there. So that the injury is not not as bad as, uh, you know, maybe they won't die, maybe they won't break their neck. And then somebody even wiser at some point said, you know, what are we doing? Before they fall down off the cliff, we could set up roadblocks, we could set up big signs, let them know that there's a cliff over here, and this way nobody falls off the cliff. And really that's the idea of prevention. The idea of prevention is that before you're falling off that cliff, you can be aware of what the danger signs are and not have to fall. So let's try to accomplish some of that tonight. Um let's start with some of the common myths and misconceptions about um, um, the rough mentioned abuse um, I'm not going to be speaking as much about abuse as much as the word control controlling behaviors. We will talk a little bit about what abuse is um, what I mean when I use the word abuse in, in the context of a relationship, but what we're really going to focus on is the idea of control and controlling behaviors and the reason for that is because um, um, I think that that's something that even a bigger population of people need to be aware of. We need to know about our own tendencies, our own vulnerabilities that we may have for controlling tendencies in a relationship or for the other person that we may be dating. And um, Bar HaShem abuse, and uh, what, that, what I mean by that, is, is not as common. But certainly the issue of control is even much more common. So I want to I really have this apply to everybody in some way that we could all gain from it. Okay, so one common myth is that people that um, suffer in relationships that are abusive have psychological problems, and um, really, that's in in some way what what is being said in that is that the person who's being abused, the person who's being mistreated, is in some way responsible because of the problem that they have that's contributing to the craziness, to the to the to the unhealthiness in the relationship, and uh, what we know for a fact from research. Is that um, unhealthy relationships that involve control certainly relationships that involve abuse cut across all um, all all elements of society. It doesn't matter if the person has any specific psychological disorder or mental illness or emotional problem or not. It doesn't matter how health, how wealthy or or poor the people in the relationship are. It doesn't matter how educated or not educated the people in the relationship are. It doesn't matter if there is or isn't alcoholism or drug addiction or any other sort of addiction in the relationship. In any kind of relationship between two people, there could be the potential for um, these unhealthy behaviors that we're focusing on tonight, control and abuse. Now, in research, when when they do scientific research, there are two important terms that uh, they talk about. One is called correlation, and the other one is cause and effect. Cause and effect means that A causes B. So B exists because of A. Correlation means something a little bit different. Correlation means that A and B have a relationship with each other. Correlation means that A and B have a relationship with each other. And in some way there's a connection between the two, but not that one causes the other. So there are some of the things that I mentioned to you just now in terms of poverty. Unemployment is another one. Um, alcoholism or other drug addiction, um, poverty uh, I think I've mentioned poverty these things have correlations with abuse. In other words, we know that um, there seems to be a higher level of unhealthy relationships in these kind of situations but we know that it's not that poverty causes it it's not that alcoholism causes it it's not that psychological problems cause it. So this leads us to an obvious question which is well what does cause um, what does cause? Of controlling and abusive patterns in relationships. So we'll put that on the side. We're going to get to that shortly. Sorry, would you list which
0: are the common causes? No, I, I I said
1: that these are not causes. These are correlations. Um, another another um, another myth that gets um, uh, that gets spread is that low self-esteem um, causes abusive relationships, and that's also a myth because. Um, a person's low self-esteem or, or a person's high self-esteem has nothing to do with whether or not there's going to be controlling patterns. In fact, the research shows that um, in most situations where there are people that are, that are acting as the controller and the people that were are the controlee, um, we're not suffering from self-esteem issues. This has nothing to do with an issue of self-esteem. Um, another myth that's commonly mentioned, I, I think I mentioned before the word unemployment, is that this kind of thing only happens by people that don't have jobs. And again, I wanted to say this is something where there is some sort of a correlation. There seems to be with, the, with um, issues of unemployment, in other words, there are things that are called stressors. When people have difficult situations in life, somebody is not well, somebody is out of work, these things create more stress in a person's life. Anything that creates more stress in a person's life will create more stress in the person's relationship. Anything that creates more stress in the person's relationship is going to be more stressful for the people in the relationship. But you can have two people deal with stress very different than another two people deal with the same stress. So it's not the stress that creates the problem, it's the people that are in the relationship that we really need to look at. And what's going on inside the person that um, winds up um, in the relationship having control or abusive patterns. So again, we're going to look soon at understanding what really does go on within the person. Um, let's see if there's any other myth here that I wanted to, to mention. Um, domestic, that, um, that abuse or controlling patterns in relationships occur only in, in poor areas or in city areas of cities, These are some, some of the common myths that are mentioned, again, not true. We know from research that um, the problems that are caused in relationships because of control or abuse are pretty much across the board, it doesn't matter where the geographic location is, it doesn't matter what the socioeconomic status of the, of the couple is. Okay, so this leads us into the, into the question that I mentioned. What are some of the dynamics that go on for understanding why a person um, does wind up acting in a controlling or an abusive way? So this is where we need to talk a little bit about the difference between controlling versus what I call abuse. So let's talk about first about abuse. That's, I think, in a way simpler, more black and white. So the way to understand abuse is that a person attempts to keep a certain element of control or power over the other person in the relationship and the way that they're going to accomplish having the control or the power, having the upper hand in the relationship is by using certain tactics on the other person that create the ability for them to successfully maintain that dynamic. So for example, the person treats, the controller treats their spouse um, with verbal abuse, with emotional abuse or with financial abuse, they withhold money, they make the person account for every penny, or they turn the kids against them, they, have the, they, 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 they make the kids feel like their uh, other parent is uh, crazy or wrong all the time. So and there's many other tactics. Any of those tactics that are used by somebody to be abusive to their spouse, the abuse behavior is really the means to the end, it's not the purpose, it's not to just torture the spouse, the purpose is to have the upper hand in the relationship. Okay, so that's the, what I meant when I said very black and white. That's the sort, sort of... Um, um, when we know that the person is really looking to have a relationship where there's an inequality, where there's a dynamic of I am in control of you, I have more power than you. We're not going to focus on that tonight. What we're going to focus on is what, what are called controlling behaviors, which is for a whole variety of reasons that a person could have difficulty in being able to negotiate a, a successful relationship. A relationship between two, te- two people requires constant um, negotiation, constant compromise, constant communication, constant reinventing. No relationship stays the same day in, day out. The agreements that we had the week before or the year before stays exactly the same. Life changes, circumstances change we change as we, go, as we go through life as we get older and therefore the relationship that we're in also evolves and so when people have difficulty being able to ongoingly keep that process going and instead everything needs to be that the way that they think it makes sense for it to be or the way they prefer for it to be we're going to have this whole Parsha come into play quote controlling behaviors um, there's, a, there's a great quote um, that I heard any attempt to impose one's will upon another person is an act of violence. Any attempt to impose one's will upon another person is an act of violence. So when, when we say that idea, we're not talking about an act of violence like Chas Shalom pushing someone down a flight of stairs. We're talking about an act of violence that I take in some way, I don't even have to physically touch the other person, but I take my will and I say it has to go my way. And because it has to go my way, I will do whatever it needs to do, whatever I need to do to successfully have it go my way. That's an act of violence. Just the idea that I need to impose myself upon another. Now obviously, in, um, when we're parents and we have kids and we're being them, we are in some way imposing our will upon them. We're not giving them options for everything and choices and everything. But when you have two adults in a consensual relationship, and one of them is attempting to impose their will upon the other, you don't have a recipe for a successful relationship. So far, am I making sense? Yes. Any questions thus far? Anything that I mentioned? Okay. I don't know if I'm going too fast or I'm going okay. So if, if I need to slow down, let me know. Okay. So um, let's talk about some of the specific variables that have to do with men um, that are male-specific. Meaning, what are some of the vulnerabilities that men need to be aware of that make... Um, for the potential for controlling behaviors in the man. Okay? And then there are, like I said, then there, are, um, then there are dynamics that have nothing to do with being a man or a woman. And it's just about being human, and we'll talk about those soon. So the first one that um, is important to be aware of is the concept of objectification of women. What it means to objectify someone is basically to not really relate to them as a human being, but instead to relate to them as an object. Okay, and you can relate to someone as an object in all sorts of ways. You can have an employee who works for you, and you can objectify the employee. Instead of seeing the employee as a human being who needs to be treated with respect and sensitivity and care, they're only there to be my employee. That's the only reason that they exist. And therefore, the only, they only serve uh, purposefulness and usefulness as being my employee. And therefore, I don't need to treat them with sensitivity and respect. I don't need to relate with them on any human level. They're my employee. That's an objectification of a human being, seeing this person not as another person, but simply as my employee. So similarly, in any relationship, we can objectify the other person. And we could see that person as just being there to fill my need in some way. To fill my physical needs, to fill my material needs, to take care of my kids, to clean my house, to serve me. That concept that that's why this person is there, that's the need that I have for this person, if that's my mindset, then I've objectified this person. And so objectification of women is one societal problem, meaning that there's a common problem in our society. Um, When I say common, um, I don't know if I could give an exact statistic, Um, but it's something to be aware of. That um, Oftentimes we may have um, relatives or friends or hear jokes that are a reflection of this attitude of objectification of the other gender and so there's a danger in buying into that mindset that when we get married and now we have a significant other we have a spouse we're not really relating to them all the time with the same respect and sensitivity and care that we would want to be related to ourselves so that's one vulnerability to be aware of called male objectification of women another concept that's sort of related to this is the concept of male privilege or male authority. Male privilege means that because I'm the man, because I'm the guy, I know better. Or because I'm the guy, um, it's supposed to go my way. Because I'm the guy, this is the right way it's supposed to go. And um, your opinion or how you want it to be is not the right way. So that concept, that ad, that attitude is called the attitude of male privilege. Male privilege is another societal problem. That there are men, again, you, you may you may know people that have some of this attitude. Um, and uh, just, being aware of the, uh, just being aware of the impact that male privilege can have in a relationship is very, very important. But therefore, Whenever we're dealing with the problem, 50% of the solution to the problem is going to be awareness. Also, you can't get to the other 50% of the solution if you don't have awareness. In other words, if the person isn't aware that there is a problem, then you can't, you can't fix that problem you need to be aware. So, so just having the awareness of this concept of objectification of women, just having this awareness of the concept of male privilege is very, very important. And then the last variable connected to this um, is the idea of using Torah, using using Halacha, using Minhagim um, in the the service of male privilege. This is very important, especially for us as from Yiddin to be aware of, that the dynamic of male privilege could play itself out in a way that we could be fooling ourselves. And we could be telling ourselves, no, we're in the right, we're we're justified because this is what the halacha says, or because this is how I learned it's supposed to be. And in the process, somebody else is getting hurt. Somebody else is feeling um, mistreated. So uh, that in the service of halacha, or in the service of uh, what we think is the right way for the home to be run, al-pi hashgafa, al-pi the Minhot that we are following, The other person feels mistreated, the other person feels disrespected, the other person feels ignored, the other person feels put down, the other person feels um, uh, um, not important. Any of those variables, we're talking already problem. In other words, nowhere within the realm of Torah, and nowhere within the realm of Halacha, nowhere within the realm of and nowhere within the realm of any minhud is there that the other person is supposed to feel in the process any of those feelings. And not have any of those experiences being mistreated, being ignored, being disrespected, being put down. <coughs> so um, so it's connected to the idea of male privilege because as males um, who are, you know, we are the <coughs> bal Habayas, we are running the house, in in, in, in terms of Fribkite in a very large way, there's a fine line between running the house as the bal Habayas and then running over the other person, our significant other. So again, something to have um, an awareness of. Me?
0: Yes. So you mentioned about um, privileges and objectifications,
1: right? Yes.
0: Um, can you give uh, an example for
1: each one so you better understand what you mean? So um, the, you're yes. asking, what's the difference between the two, objectification and privilege? Is that what you're asking? I want an
0: example of each one that you find practically in a marriage case.
1: Sure. Um, so, um, male privilege would be, for example. Um, so, firstly, before I give you an example, it doesn't. It, it, male privilege and the concept of objectification could be sort of one and the same. It's not that they're two separate things. It's just two ways, two aspects of understanding the the dynamics of a relationship and being aware of it. So, it could be the same example that I can give you, and it could be an example of using male privilege and also an example of objectifying a woman. Um, for example. Um, uh, let's
0: see. Um, think of an example of objectification.
1: Um, uh, the guy is sitting um, at the Shabbos table. The husband sitting at the Shabbos table, and his um, and his yeah. teenage daughter is um, starting to sing Shabbos prayers. Shooting off an example off the top of my head, and the way he tells her to stop singing because he thinks that it's inappropriate for her to sing is uh, leaves her feeling um, very put down. Leaves her feeling cheapened. I'm a woman, therefore I'm less than. So. Um, Let's say for whatever the, um, whatever the variable is, there's a guest in the house, or this is not the person. the person thinks that at this age it's not appropriate. Whatever the reason is that the husband, the father wants to put his foot down or set some sort of a guideline, set some, <coughs> some, set some sort of a limit in the home. And in the process, his daughter is feeling like um, she's, she's inferior, she's less than, okay? So if, if you're going to use the, if, you, if, if the situation comes up, where halacha or a minhag or um, an appropriate behavior needs to be applied in a relationship, then objectification is without um, relating to the other person, without relating to the other person's feelings, without taking into account that how I would feel in this situation is just as relevant as how this person is going to feel in the relationship. So that kind of sensitivity is not there when there's objectification. The person is there to listen to me or the person is there as an object to serve me, serve my needs, um, uh, another classic example is where the husband doesn't really help out in the house. That's my wife's job. I don't diaper the kids. My wife That's my wife's job. Now in, in every relationship there's no rule book that every, every marriage has the same rules of how much, who takes out the garbage, does the, does the husband wash the dishes, does he mop the floor, does he, does he clear the table, does he set the table. There's no rules for this. There's no right or wrong. But in a healthy relationship, those things get agreed upon, get negotiated between the husband and the wife, in a way that both of them walk away from the agreement, from the discussion, feeling satisfied with the, with the process. How the discussion went, and how the, con- how the conclusion was brought to a conclusion. In objectification or in male privilege, that's not happening. There's a, there's, a, there's, there's a one-way street that's happening. The guy decides that this is the way it's supposed to be. And so he employs any of a variety of tactics to make sure that that's how it's gonna be. So he might, he might, um, he might say, he might assert male privilege. I'm, I'm the guy, so therefore this is the way it has to be. That's, that's a very black and white obvious example. Or he might use any form, like I mentioned before, a form of emotionally abusive behavior. Putting her down, calling her names, saying she's stupid or silly. Um, she doesn't know what she's talking about, body language, rolling, rolling his eyes in contempt, um, conveying in some way, verbally or non-verbally, the impression to the other person that um, what, what she has to say doesn't count or doesn't really matter or it doesn't matter as much as what he has to say or what he thinks. Okay? So, so the flip side of that, the healthy side of that, is that no matter what the topic is, whether it's something that the, the, the husband thinks and feels very strongly is more his domain. For example, let's say it's an issue of halacha or, or um, how the home should be raised in terms of, Ju- of Judaism. It doesn't matter what the topic is, regardless of what the issue is, that the procedure, the process of how that unfolds is one where there's mutual respect, where there's mutual tolerance, where there's mutual care. Okay? So that's always the flip side. The flip side is that there's always a two-way street. There's a, recipro- a reciprocity that... Um, I, I am spoken to and I can be spoken to. I listen and I am listened to. On both ends. Working in a two-way street. And when that's not happening, and instead in the relationship it's more of a one-way street, one person has it going in t- typically, typically in that one way. This person is listened to as opposed to listens. This person has to listen as opposed to getting listened to. This person has to hear as opposed to being heard. Then we have a dynamic of a controlling relationship in no all likelihood. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. What were those three ingredients again? Mutual respect? Um mutual respect, mutual tolerance, mutual care. Um did I say tolerance? Mutual tolerance. Tolerance, care, and respect. Yeah. Those are good words to keep in mind. Um and then, you know, the idea of sensitivity, mutual sensitivity, mutual. Um, just, just thinking this. If I wanted to be listened, if I, if it was the other way around, and I, and I was the one who was trying to be heard, who was trying to be listened to, or I was being spoken to a certain way, and I needed to listen, how would I want to be heard? How would I want to be spoken to? What would work for me? Okay. So applying basically, in another way of saying it, is applying the same standards to the relationship. Um, that I would want to have applied to myself, that I'm applying to my significant other as well. That's another way of saying it. Um, Okay. Let's see if there's anything else on this that I wanted to mention. I don't. I don't. I don't think I can overemphasize enough. Before we go into some of the variables in terms of the actual tachlis stuff, we'll get into now dating how, to, what to look for, what to keep in mind. I can't emphasize enough that the idea behind um, the what, what, what creates, what goes from healthy behavior to dysfunctional behavior to abusive behavior is going to be ultimately what, what goes from dysfunctional to abusive, right? So we have the word shalom bias. Shalom bias is not referring to abuse. Shalom bias is referring to problems in a relationship. There are many types of problems you can have in a relationship. Relationships is the hard, one of the hardest things in the world to have um, all the time successfully. Research shows that even the most successfully married couples, the most happy, satisfied couples, are really on the same wavelength 70% of the time. Yeah, you're two different human beings, you're two different personalities, you come from two different backgrounds. 30% of the time, minimally, you're not going to be on the same page. That means that um, you want to go out for a walk and spend some quality time, and your spouse just wants to sit and read a book. You want to go out to eat, your spouse wants to stay home and uh, veg out. And, and any, think of any other example. 30% of the time, you're not on the same page as your spouse. That's in the most successful relationship. So certainly even more so when there are problems in the relationship and there are dysfunctions, that, that percentage goes up even more. And that's that's okay. There's, there's people to help with that if, if, if help is needed. When it goes and it crosses a line from that into abuse, what we're talking about is a whole other thing. What we're talking about then is that the person who's the abuser has a need for the relationship to have an inequality, to have a power differential. I need to have the upper hand in this relationship. Now... That doesn't necessarily mean that the abuser is is torturing his wife all day, all night with abusive behavior. It could be that he he seems to treat his wife very, very nicely, he leaves her alone, everything is fine, but if she steps on his toes, so to speak, if she annoys him, if she crosses some sort of a line that he feels can't be crossed, then he acts with the abusiveness you have some, some, some type of people that are abusive, where they are actually chasing the abusee, the person who's getting abused, they're, 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 they're chasing them. They have this constant need to be involved in interactions with them and mitch them. And then you have other people where they're satisfied leaving the other person alone, as long as you leave me alone, and as long as you let things be my way. So again, important just to understand, to pick up a little bit of the flavor of what I'm describing, and get a sense that we're not just talking about general problems in a relationship where a couple is fighting, a couple can't get along in a certain way, a couple doesn't know how to reach a compromise or, or resolve certain disagreements or difficulties that they have, we're talking about it's crossed that line into a whole different kind of department, into a whole different kind of territory called um, the abuse. Control is one of those things that takes you from the dysfunction right into the abuse. Okay, so um, what, I'm, what, I'm trying, what I'm hoping to convey is a little bit of the mindset and a little bit of the flavor, of of the dynamic of the relationship that differentiates the abusive one from even a couple that has problems, that has dysfunctions, that has difficulty together. Okay? That makes sense?
0: Do you mind uh, giving an example between um, a case of dysfunction and abusive? Where did that mean?
1: Okay, so, so when we talk about examples, it's important to understand something. If if I'm, I'll give you a a different example, not not connected to relationships. If I'm I'm watching a guy drink a beer, and this guy has, he's just a regular guy, and then I'm watching the guy drink a beer who's an alcoholic. You think then when I watch these two guys drink a beer, I can automatically see who's the alcoholic and who's not? They're both just drinking a bottle of beer. I can't see in the actual example that one has an alcohol problem and one doesn't. It's very important to understand, when we're trying to think and understanding this, that we have to imagine that it's like a whole movie. And the movie has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. It has a whole storyline. You don't freeze the movie, pause it at one scene and say, this is the movie, this one example, this one scene. So, if I sit with someone and I'm doing an addiction assessment for alcoholism, let's say, I don't hear that they got drunk last night and I say, oh, they have alcoholism. That's like freezing the movie and poskening, deciding the problem or assessing something from one scenario. So when we ask for examples or when we're trying to imagine examples, better than me giving you an example would be to simply understand that the concept is not an example of a behavior. It's a pattern. It's a pattern of how a relationship is between two people. When there's a certain pattern between a guy and beer, then that pattern is called alcoholism. When you have a certain bad pattern between a husband and a wife, um, then that pattern can be called abusiveness or controlling behaviors. So it's not one example that could pass in it. People can lose their cool. People can say things inappropriately to their spouse. People can be disrespectful because they were um, tired and overwhelmed and they inappropriately crossed the line. People could do wrong things. People can misbehave. And just because someone misbehaves doesn't automatically mean that they are abusive in their relationship. So that's why I'm hesitant to give an example and say that's an example of, a, of an abusive behavior because you can have, if you can have a, a spy camera in someone's house and watch this couple have a fight and go, oh my gosh, they have the worst marriage in the world. Really, they have a very strong marriage. Then you can have, you could have the spy camera in the house and see, oh, a couple looks like they get along and it's horrible. She's in tremendous pain. So you, you can't see it from one example per se. It's more important to understand that it's the pattern of the relationship how the relationship goes. Also, the other piece is, for example, if I was doing as a professional an assessment, and I wanted to get it, and, and, and one of the questions that's coming up for me as a professional is, is this relationship abusive? I will not be able to know unless I have the opportunity to hear from the other person as well. In other words, just by sitting with, let's say, if the guy was the abuser in that situation, and I'm just sitting with the guy and asking questions. And I never get an opportunity to hear either directly from the wife or from the wife's therapist, whatever. however I'm going to get from the Reb or the relative that's involved. If I don't get to hear what's been going on for the wife in that scenario, then I'm missing a very crucial piece of information. So what is the experience like for the other person in the relationship? So in real abuse, when the person has crawled, when the relationship has crossed the line into abuse, one of the things that's going to be in the relationship from Mitzad, the receiver of the abuse, the abusee, is going to be fear. Some element of fear. It may not be fear that this person is going to punch me in the nose. Or throw me down the stairs. It may not even be a fear that they could specifically put into words. I'm afraid that my husband will blah blah blah. Sometimes it is. It's very, very clear that the person knows what they're afraid of. But sometimes it's not. They don't know what they're necessarily afraid of. But they have a feeling. I can't do anything I want to do. I can't say anything I want to say. I can't be the way I want to be. And they're afraid to be. So that's another important piece to understand is always going to be there in a relationship that's crossed over into that line of abuse. Okay, so what what we did was um, we talked a little bit on an extreme level now in terms of what it looks like when it really gets into um, a problem, into a serious problem. Now we're going to pull back and we're going to talk about what it's like when two nice people are dating. And um, there are no problems, but we're trying to prevent problems. Okay. So, first I'm going to give you some questions that could be asked. And now, when I give you these questions, think about it in two ways. These are questions that you can ask as the guy who's dating the girl. These are questions that you can ask yourself about yourself as well. As if it was the girl asking this about you. Okay? So the same questions could be asked and be be heard from me both ways. One question. How are decisions made? Okay. One thing I want to um, for sure say. No matter how long you take um, in your dating or short, don't assume that the things that I'm going to talk about now, you'll resolve when you get married. You'll figure out them, Because by then, it might be a little too late. Think about these things when you're actually dating. Keep them in your mind. As you're more serious about it, and you think this actually might be going somewhere in a real way, think about it. Bring it even more close into the front of your mind. Don't tell yourself, I'll pull out this information later on, and it'll work itself out. Pull it out from the get-go. Have it in your head. So how are decisions made? Um, this could be a little bit theoretical when a couple is dating. There may not be that many real decisions that have to be made. But you can even see it in um, some of the things that are more silly. How do you decide where to go out to eat? How do you decide what kind of date to have? How do you decide when to, um, where to have the bar? I don't know, I'm just thinking of, of things that are in the big scheme of life, not very important examples. But the process of how those decisions get made. Okay, so again, you can think about that question in two ways. How does the girl I'm dating come to making decisions? How do I come to make decisions? What's the process that goes into it? What happens when there's a conflict? What happens when there's a difference of opinion or a disagreement? How does that get played out? How does she respond? How does she react? How do I respond? How do I react? How does it get resolved? Okay, So there was a fight, there was a conflict. I remember the first fight that me and my wife had, um, before we got married, Um, it stood out in my head, it came very, very out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that this was going to be an issue of a disagreement, but I remember it. And I remember how it got resolved as well. So how do those conflicts get resolved? How does she resolve them on her end, how do I resolve those conflicts on my end? Does she feel comfortable disagreeing? And if she doesn't feel comfortable, why not? Okay, this is a great question. We often don't really think. What is really going on for the other person? What we think about more often is, does this person like me? Does this person want me? Do they respect me? Those are all very, very important questions. Do I like her? Do I respect her? Do I want to be with her? Very, very important questions. But here's a different type of way of thinking about the other person. Does this person feel comfortable to disagree with me? Am I comfortable to disagree with her? If not, why not? What's going on? Um, what might I do to change her mind? Okay, what are the kind of things that I could do to change her mind?
0: Controlling.
1: Well, to we'd like to know. Goal. That's the question, is to take a look at that. If I, um, there's, there's nothing wrong with continuing to, if, if I want something to go my way or if I feel very strongly about something, there's nothing wrong with continuing to put it on the table and saying, well, this isn't resolved for me. I'm not done with this. I still want to have a discussion about this. Or I'm not satisfied with this. Um, I don't want to settle this discussion yet. I want to continue to talk about it. There's nothing wrong with that. But yes, potentially a person could say, no, this is about control. It's about me having to have my way. So I'm not going to stop until it goes my way. So that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm trying to raise your awareness that there's a healthy way where there's nothing wrong with dealing with the situation, but then there's the control factor that could play itself out. So what might I do to change her mind and um, in order to get things to go my way? What does she do to get me to change my mind and to make sure that things go her way? Okay, again, the same question both ways. Go making ahead. Exa- just said making an example of of uh, what, what would be a good and bad situation, like well, like what does she what does she do to convince me? So like what would be a good example? What would be a bad example? What specifically what would you look out for? So um, okay, we'll we'll get to some of that in in in, um, in a minute. Let me double check to make sure that we will. And if we don't get to if we don't get back to that, please ask the question again. But I think we're going to cover uh, more specifics on that soon. Um, Another question to keep in mind. One question. One question. Go uh, ahead. Sometimes we have a need,
0: and sometimes we have some things that are necessary, but not a desperate need. So if need is not met, uh, it makes life uncomfortable.
1: So how do we go and ask for a need? For example, if the wife needs a to me, or if she wants to, to guide me something, from the how do we go and ask that this be three minutes? What is the right way and what is the wrong way and what is the imposing way? And what is the last thing you said? Imposing what is the way. what is imposing way to make sure that this? So again, you're just asking for an example, is, is that, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're asking for an example. So again, let's see if I cover that, and if I don't, then, then we'll ask this again, but I think I'm going to get into more detail soon. Um, I just want to clarify, so you say you asked questions and you had scenarios, so? Oh. Um, these are questions to keep in your own mind. Are these getting addressed? In other words, as I'm dating this girl, as I've decided that this is the girl I want to marry, Have I been thinking about these things? In other words, I'm not saying that you have to go through these actual examples where you had a fight, you had a conflict. Um, You did try to convince her of something. She tried to convince you. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you keep this in your mind and you're tuned into this, at the very least, you can have conversations about these topics. Why not? These are great conversations. Um, th- that's what I meant when I started off and I gave the introduction. Don't think that you'll just wait till you're married and then you'll decide to put these things on the table and explore them together. Explore them when you're dating. So e- either it'll come up La in some way and then you get a chance to really be tuned into this and see how, did, how does it play out on her end? How does, she, how does she go through these things? How does it play out on my end? What goes on for me? Or even if it doesn't come out in some way Lamaisa, you can still have discussions about these things and explore them. In the conversations themselves, um, you, you you get a sense of where's this other person coming from, and where are you coming from? If you just, if you just ask, do you get the accurate answer. Like, you know, everyone's gonna say to do the best thing, and you know, I'm always uh, agree properly, and you know. Well, there's there's a way to have a conversation where it's not an interrogation. Mm-hmm. Right, you're right. If you sit there and you interrogate, or it, it would be, work the mm-hmm. other way as well. If you oh, were being interrogated. Right. Absolutely. Everyone's dating, everyone's putting their best foot forward, everyone's trying to look right, sound right, and, be, and be, be on their best behavior. Absolutely. So this can't be an interrogation. This can't be, if you were in this situation, we, how are you going to handle it? it, it th- this, has to, this will only come up in the midst of a conversation where you're exploring together an idea. Let's talk about the idea of, of, com- com- of um, conflict in relationships. How do we look at it? You know, how, how do you look at it? What's your thoughts about how conflict should be handled? What's your thoughts about um, how do you negotiate? How do you negotiate a relationship when you really don't want to let go? You really want very badly for something to go your way. Or you think very passionately that something should go the way you want. So, that's, it, so it can't be asked as a direct question, what would you do? Or do you think it's right or wrong if? Because of course you're gonna get, you're gonna get the, the obvious answers. And if it was directed at you, you would also give the obvious answers. But I'm talking about looking for the opportunity to explore it in a conversation. And also, um, the point of my sharing this with you tonight is that um, even before you get into an actual conversation with a girl about this, start having these conversations in your own mind. In other words, very, very often we don't wind up thinking much about these things in a real way. We think about, um, especially guys, we think this is right, this is wrong. Do this, don't do that. But what's it like as an experience? What would it be like for me to actually have to deal with another person, um, not, not um, in a controlling way, in a way that makes them feel cared for in the same way that I want to feel cared for, in a way that I treat them sensitively in the same way that I want them to treat me, and then at the same time still hold on to my own want or my own opinion, it's not so simple. So to think about that, start really exploring what, what might that be like for me, when have I gone through situations like this. Even if it's not with a girl in a dating scenario, just in life. And how have I handled myself in those situations? What am I challenged with? Do I become impatient? Do I become frustrated? Do I start thinking that the other person is out to get me? Do I start thinking that nobody really cares about me? That I'm just disrespected? Do I become disrespectful? Do I become short-tempered? What, what happens for me on my end as well? Okay, just some things to, questions to ask and things to think about. Okay, now what I want to do is focus on, this is pretty much the last piece before we open it up to questions and answers, what are some of the things to look out for, okay? Again, when we talk about these things, what to look out for, think about it in two ways. What to look out for it in terms of um, identifying this within the girl, and as well as identifying this within yourself. Um, How about somebody who's jealous of the time that you spend with um, your family and friends, Okay. So either, again, the girl is jealous, this is the scenario, she doesn't like how much time you're spending with family and friends, or you don't like how much time the girl is spending with family and friends. So one of the things to, to keep in mind when it comes to this kind of a dynamic is that, first of all, dating takes people away from other other things in life. Um, having a new relationship takes you away from other things in life, and, and, and rightfully so. You wanna put the other person first, you want to um, spend more time and energy in that relationship, um, and, and, and that's the way it's going to work. However, you still have a life, you still have relationships with people that are meaningful to you, and so does the girl. So what, what's important to keep in mind is that my, I'm not expected to drop everything that's important to me because the other person needs 100% of my time and attention. And I can't expect to, um, to have that standard be applied to the girl as well, okay? So that's one common scenario. What happens if, for example, one second, what happens if, for example, um, uh, um, the girl's gone out and um, you've, you, you express hurt, disapproval, anger, disappointment, um, are you pressuring the girl in, in expressing yourself that way just to keep you happy? Um, are you starting to anticipate um, what are some of the, who are some of the people or what are some of the places or the times that she spends her time um, that I'm going to try to um, dissuade her from those plans or those relationships? And again, vice versa. Is it happening the other way as well to be aware of? Is she starting to put pressure or express disapproval or unhappiness? Now again, <coughs> don't make this black and white. If you're in a relationship with someone and the person comes to you and says I'm unhappy about this relationship or I'm unhappy about the amount of time you spend, don't jump right away in your head, oh abuse, control, or if you go and you express yourself to the other person, it doesn't mean you're being abusive or you're being controlling, there has to be a dialogue. And again, this goes back to the things that I talked about earlier, the dynamics of the relationship. Is there a reciprocity? Is there a two-way street happening in the, in the conversation? I'm, I'm listening and I'm being listened to, I'm hearing and I'm being heard. So that um, both of us are feeling as equals in this give and take process. If that's not happening though, if there's a sense of pressure, there's a sense of guilt, and there's a pattern of this that's beginning to emerge, that's something to be looking out for. Okay. So again, the point that I'm trying to go through now are things to be looking out for, both within potentially the girl. And within yourself things to be mindful of Um, next um, next scenario Um, what if you want to know her whereabouts at all times and you get angry if she's not available what if she wants to know your whereabouts at all times and she gets angry if you're not available okay so another thing to be looking out for do you share your day with with the girl because you want to because it's meaningful or you're sharing your day because you feel like you have to give it in the chesh and you have to same thing, vice versa. Is she sharing with you about herself and about her time because she wants to share with you, or because in some way you're making her feel obligated to, in some way you're pressuring her to, in some way you're gilding her to? Is there,
0: is there a right and a
1: wrong? And well, the right and the wrong is that guilt and pressure are dysfunctional and a setup for a recipe for disaster. So that's the wrong. The right is that people are comfortable. But there is that people, not all relationships, are, not all relationships. Are all about. I want. I'm so happy to. I mean, I want to, and I'm willing to. But some,
0: many times we're in a relationship, and it's this, there's a need to give. I mean, give a is a hard word, but yes. You, spending time, you know. Time, yeah. When when a husband goes out, the wife entitled to know where he's going.
1: Right. No, so you're, you're touching on something a little different than what I was talking about where one of you, one of the people in the relationship is asking for the accountability or demanding it or pressuring it. What you're referring to is that within a healthy relationship, this is a very important point that you're making, that within a healthy relationship there is automatically a sense of accountability and responsibility to the relationship. So for example, I was just working recently with someone and um, in, professionally and um, he's got a lot of dysfunction in his relationship. And I asked him if he shared um, about where he was going. He said that his wife knew that he was going to be here, but then the plans changed, and for two hours he wound up being elsewhere, and he didn't tell his wife. I asked him, why not? For the same reason where you're coming from, is that within a healthy relationship, there should be an automatic sense of, I am accountable on some level to you, you're accountable on some level to me, we're accountable to each other. But I'm talking about where um, it's being applied in a one-way kind of a way out of my need to um, either have the control, or my need to feel um, like I'm not going to be abandoned, like I'm being cared for this way, this is how I feel love. Or if the girl is applying it to you in that way. Again, these are just things to be aware of. This is the best we're gonna be able to do in this kind of a class, in this kind of a group, is we're gonna to to talk about what if scenarios, possibilities. We're not gonna be able to actually give you a list, black and white, uh, check, 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 everything is kosher and you have nothing to worry about. Or here, you know, there, this isn't an exact science. These are things to just, if we talk about it enough and I give you the ideas and you're able to understand them and you're able to relate to them and you're able to keep them in your mind, then you're, you're well prepared. Okay, Let's go to another one to be looking out for. What happens when um, you give advice and it's not followed? How does the other person react? Is there anger? Um, when the person who's giving the advice isn't um, their advice isn't being listened to or isn't being followed how does the how does the advice giver react in that moment again if it's the girl giving her opinions or her advice or it's you um, so is there, um, is there a stuckness that sort of happens there's a disagreement and now the other person who gave the advice or gave the opinion digs in their heels and they're fighting now is there a sense of um... flexibility a sense of um movement that um, we're talking about it. And um, the most important thing in relationships in general is that you don't get stuck in traffic jams. And very, very often, this is what lands couples in therapy, is that they don't know how to get out of traffic jams. They get caught up in their communication in a traffic jam. They don't know how to back up. There's no room to go forward. They don't know how to go sideways. The the One of the secrets of successful relationships is that no matter what kind of um, strongly felt topic or importance this topic or this feeling or this opinion has, we never get caught up in a traffic jam. If we need to back up and go in reverse, we back up. If we need to call it quits for the day and we'll revisit the issue, we're going to revisit the issue. If we need to stick in a joke or a little humor to lighten up the mood, we do that. If we need to just um, go to a different topic in order to then come back later to this topic, we do that. But we don't get caught in the traffic jams. One 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 of the... hallmarks of couples that are highly dysfunctional is that they always get caught up in these traffic jams. Here, we're talking about that with an even bigger um, emphasis on it, in the sense that it's not just a traffic jam between both of them, but that the one that wanted it to be a certain way is really now stuck on this idea that it's not going my way, or you didn't listen to me, or why didn't you follow what I said, that kind of idea. Again, keeping in mind what to look out for in the sense of within the girl and within ourselves. Okay, the next idea, the next thing to look out for, somebody who doesn't take responsibility for their own actions. Um, it's always someone or something else. This is a, an important thing. Um, a, a big secret that women sometimes don't know is that we tend to have egos as men. And um, it could be very difficult sometimes to say the word I'm sorry or to apologize. Research has been done, actually, to show that when men say the word, I'm sorry, and when women say the word, I'm sorry, they mean two completely different
0: things.
1: (laughs) Men tend to think that when they say, I'm sorry, it means I was wrong, or I acted stupidly, or I'm inappropriate, Um, and and automatically, it creates a real sense of defensiveness inside the guy. Like, that's a pretty vulnerable thing to have to say. Look someone else in the face and own up to that. It's, It's a pretty humbling, vulnerable feeling. When a woman says, I'm sorry, most of the time, what she really means is, let's move on. Let's not get stuck, let's let's move past this. So men need to learn that when they say I'm sorry, it just means let's move on. It doesn't mean I am the worst guy in the world, or I did the worst possible thing in the world. Also the words I'm sorry is not magic, I'm sorry does not mean um, automatically when you have those two words come out of your, your mouth, everything that happened in the relationship is like erased. I'm sorry is the beginning of a sentence, it's not the end of the sentence. So when, when a person apologizes, I'm going to go a little bit off on the tangent of the point I wanted to make, but it's worth saying. I'm sorry that, and then we specify what we're, um, what we're, spe- what we're specifically referring to, that actually feels to the other person, it comes across as being sincere, and the other person, 9.99 times out of 10, um, feels receptive to that. If we just say the word I'm sorry because we have this magical belief that it'll just be over and you know, we'll get let off the hook easy, then we're, we might be in for a rude awakening. It doesn't usually work that way. So the point over here is that um, the, the thing that I was talking about that we need to look out for is that um, somebody doesn't take responsibility for their actions. They really did mess up. They really were responsible in some way and they're not able to really own it. That's something to be aware of, something to be concerned about in a healthy relationship, certainly one where two people are getting more serious and they're, they're, they're contemplating being committed to each other, th- there has to be a willingness and an ability to take responsibility for one's own actions. We make mistakes, we mess up, sometimes we behave poorly, sometimes we don't have the best of days, sometimes we, um, the, our best side is not showing, and that can happen from the girls end, it can happen on our end, but we have to be willing to step up and own that. So what that's something the- to be aware of. What?
0: What is this such a thing of either taking responsibility
1: or not taking responsibility? Um, well, for example, if um, I turn to the girl and I say, you know, I, I, I really felt bad the way you spoke to me yesterday. And she reacts by brushing me off. As opposed to, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you felt that way, I, I, I hear you, I, I didn't mean to make you feel that way. Um, I'm sorry you wound up feeling that way responding directly to what I'm saying is called taking responsibility, brushing me off, or justifying it, defending it, digging in the heels and saying, well, no, but I, have to, I have to speak to you that way because blah, 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 blah. So, so there's a big difference in how the person is responding. Are they, are they indicating that they hear me, and they're taking into account what I'm saying, the point that I'm, I'm, I'm expressing, the feeling that I'm conveying, or they're just brushing it off in some way? Do you have both at the same time? can you have both at the same time? Well the general uh, rule is that when we say um, I'm sorry but we've negated everything that we've said before the word but so when we say, when we, when we act like we hurt someone but then we proceed to push our own agenda on the table after that then we've just disqualified everything that we did before that so you can't really have both at the same time we often try to do that, people, it's not uncommon that people will try to do that but in reality you see as the person continues to talk where their focus really is. Is their focus on really hearing the other person and really relating to the other person's feelings or the focus (coughs) really is on keeping their own agenda going?
0: You understand what I'm I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But what I want to know is if someone, yes, he's going to listen to the feelings of of the other person but at the same time he wants to get through his feelings as well. You can reverse the buck. You could say I had to be defensive, and then you could
1: say I'm really sorry you felt that way. Um, I'm, I, are you asking me, I just want to make sure, are you asking if it's the right time to do both agendas at that point in time? Like I have feelings and you have feelings. Should we both right now at the same time air those feelings out? Or is it better to keep my feelings uh, for another time, another discussion, and just focus on, on the other person? Is that, is that the point you're making or the question you're asking?
0: Um, part of it.
1: Okay, so I, I don't think there's a general rule for that, like it always should be this way, or it can never be that way. Um, there are different, different ways, two people, the th- relationships are as varied as the two people that are in it. Everybody in this room is different, everybody in this room is gonna have a different relationship with a different person. But, um, so, so I can't give you a rule, always do this or never do that, with these kind of things. But I think it's important to be aware. If I think that it's okay, for me it would work, personally. If I know that for me it would work, I could listen to your feelings and at the same time I would want my feelings to be aired out at the same time. So I try to do that and I see that my spouse is not having any of it. She's, um, she's hurt by that. She feels like I was, she wasn't listened to at all. Then the wisdom that I need to have, the common sense that I need to have in my head is this isn't going to work for my relationship. Or the other way around. Let's say my wife, in her family, that's how they communicated. And nobody took it personal and everybody, everything was fine. Everybody was okay with it. She doesn't mean anything malicious about it. But when she conveys, when she communicates that way with me, it hurts me terribly. Because I grew up in a home where that was looked at as being very impolite or rude or whatever. So then it would be important for my wife to understand that and try to be sensitive to that as well. So it's not because one is right or one is wrong. It's just a matter of finding the right recipe for a successful relationship between those two people. So you
0: have to learn the buttons of the other person.
1: Right. And one it's of the things important. that we're talking about is learning our own buttons too. So there's, there's two ways to, to say buttons. One is the, the buttons of um, what not to do, the buttons not to press, the things that make us feel badly, or the things that make us make the other person feel badly, or the positive buttons, the way to properly have a relationship. Tonight's agenda is not to talk about so much and that's why I'm not focusing what are the things that we should be doing in the relationship. We're focusing more on what are the things to be aware of that we don't want to be carrying into the relationship, we don't want to experience from the other person in the relationship. Okay? Um, how about when you see somebody that has two sides of their personality? They seem to be so sweet and kind but yet you see over time that there's another part of their personality where they're cruel or uncaring. Or you have those two sides to your personality. My experience is that most, most people that have controlling behaviors are not all bad all the time. They could be very nice people and um, have nice friends who think very highly of them. In other words, um, very few people in this world are bad all the time with everyone in every situation. Very, very few people. That's the, the majority of people are not like that. We have times when we're like this, times when we're like that. But something to be mindful of, something to be looking out for is if we become aware that um, there seems to be two parts to this person's personality. There's this part of them that's really nice and endearing. I like this part of their personality. There's another part of the personality that makes me uncomfortable. Should we suspect that they have DID? Or it's just that it's DID? Condition? You're asking very fancy questions. We have multiple personality, or should we, should we just think that there's two parts of the same personality? Um, I, I can't, I can't, I would definitely recommend that um, as a person who's dating, we don't try to do a psychological assessment on, on the other person. Leave that for the professionals. Um, the general rule of a successful relationship is that um, even, if, even if the other person has issues of any sort, psychological or emotional, if we want to have a successful relationship with them, then the same ingredients that it takes for any other two people to have a successful relationship are going to be there for, the, for you and that person as well. So we all have issues, no one's perfect, and um, the bottom line is if we're in a relationship with someone, we can't think like a therapist, we have to think like, like a person, relate to them the way we want to be related to. That's what I'm trying to really focus on, is how to be aware of the things that we need to be related to in our own way, and how to relate to the other person too. Take, uh, let, me, let me hold up on the question, let me go on. Hold, what does that hold, mean if after dating?
0: What I,
1: mean, what I meant by that was that, um, for example, um, their mood shifts. Uh-huh. In some way, or with some people, suddenly they're not acting so nice and caring. Or in some situations, suddenly they're not acting so nice and caring. Um, she she gets on the phone with um, with the cleaning lady at home, and the way you heard her speak is like, oh my gosh, where did this person come from? I she never I never heard her speak that way. You know what what's that about? but I like her. So I'm going to push that out of my mind that I'm going to make believe that didn't really happen. I'll take that discomfort that I just experienced and make believe I didn't really hear that. Because it'll work out. Everything's fine. She's a really good person. Um, That's what I meant. Is that um, If there's something that you're experiencing in the relationship that's making you uncomfortable, something that you're aware of, that you're noting, um, then note it and be aware of it. And don't act like it didn't happen. That doesn't mean that you should uh, automatically assume that it means the worst in the world, um, but, but the, the points that I'm trying to make, again, things to be aware of. It's the best I can do is to just give you some of the general things within the context of dating that we need to be aware what of. What
0: should we do about that? Yeah. How, yeah. Do these two How do you approach it? Yeah.
1: So, so let's hold off the question of what should we do about until I get through the things to be aware of, then let's try to talk about that. Okay? We're going to get to the what to do about it. Uh, the Rev already touched on that actually, but we'll get back to that. Um, <clears throat> okay. Does, does she try to rush you into marriage when you don't feel ready yet? Um, and you're expressing feelings, um, you're trying to express your feelings, but she's just ex- speaking your feelings for you, which are not really your feelings. No, you really want to blah, 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 blah. Or the other way around, you're really eager to get into this marriage, and you're rushing it or pushing it, and perhaps uh, the person that you're dating is not ready for it. Again. Um, The point is that in in a healthy relationship, two people are able to be honest and open with each other to the extent that two people that are dating can be. I know that um, when we're dating, we're very committed to being um, on our best behavior. But the bottom line is that when things do come up, if anything that's a struggle or a conflict or tension is actually coming up, to not shove it under the rug, not act like it's not happening, take note of it. What am I experiencing? What is this experience like for the other person? Um, If it doesn't go, I I touched on this a little bit before, but I'll mention it again. If it doesn't go your way, do you try to pressure the other person directly or indirectly? Uh, Maybe you try to send someone to convince them or to pressure them or the other way around. Um, If you're on the receiving end of that, how does it get played out between you and and this person? Do you stand firm? Do you back down? Is there negotiation? Um, Is there a feeling that the other person is uncomfortable, but they're not being... And they're not being honest, and they're not being real about it, or I'm feeling uncomfortable about it, but I'm not going to really, uh, I don't feel like I can really talk about it. Um, not to ignore these things, to just be aware that um, the discomfort that you're experiencing, or the discomfort that she's experiencing, should be dealt with. It shouldn't be shoved under the rug like it's not happening. Um, are there consequences? So, for example, if somebody is um, uh, not getting their way, Do they pout? Do they sulk? Do they give you the silent treatment? They don't stop talking to you. They don't take your calls. They ignore you. Um, They drastically change their behavior in a negative way to give you the message that they're not happy with you. And um, then if you capitulate, if you give in, and now you make them happy again, everything is fine, like nothing happened. Do you behave that way? Do you have your own way? That when things don't go your way, yourself, you pass, you get a silent treatment, thank you very much. Um, you try to get in some way a manipulation or a pressure to make the other person, to make the girl um, give in or um, um, compromise with you on the situation the way you want it to. So ha- do you make the other person feel defensive? Do you get put on the, de- on the defensive? Here's another one, on the Frumkite level, are there, um, 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 what's the word, inconsistencies? On one level, the person is presenting themselves one way, but then you see or hear about another part of them. That's not consistent. Either on your end or the girl's end. That's something to be aware of. Again, something that shouldn't be swept under the rug. Something to be aware is an important thing to to look at. If this person has any sort of ambivalence about their their Yiddishkeit or their religious observance, if you have any sort of ambivalence about it on your end, you're in... Well, I'm sorry. What is ambivalence? I'm sorry. Ambivalence means no that you um, you sort of conflicted inside yourself. You have one part of you that's saying um, black, one part of you that's saying white, one part of you saying yes, one part of you saying no. I want, I don't want. So it's not I don't want totally, or I want. There's ambivalence. There's this internal sense of part of me is schlepping one way, and part of me is not so not so on board the the other way. Again, what I'm trying to say about this is simply to be aware that if we have our own ambivalencies about um, religious observance, or the girl that we're dating does, we shouldn't assume that it's going to melt away or magically disappear when we get married. That's That's the main point I'm trying to say is that these things don't just melt away, they don't just go away, they don't just crawl away to not bother us and come back to bite us, they're there. Whatever they may be, need to be understood, need to be explored, need to be communicated, need to be discussed, and need to be resolved that this is what um, this is who I am, or this is who this other person is. Not to assume that when I marry this person, I'll change them, or they're going to change me. That is not a recipe for a successful relationship. You, you no, assume. just has nothing to do with let's say control necessarily. Someone's a bit. No, I'm giving. I'm yeah. not right. I'm not giving. Um, now I'm giving simply an example of things to look out for it to be to be potential concerns, um, but not necessarily how it plays out with control. Uh, absolutely. Um, but then the part where the part where the control piece could come in is um, how does it get conveyed, how does it get communicated, is there a comfortability in being able to be open and talking about it and discussing it, is there a certain defensiveness that kicks in, um, again, either in the girl or in yourself, that then puts too much um, discomfort in the space between you and the other person for there to be honest, real discussion about it, to explore together, then we're talking about potentially that's a tactic, somebody who's controlling can deliberately put in a way of um, uh, making the other person uncomfortable or defensive in order to get their way and not have this issue be pursued further. Um, A general idea of um, does it have to be my way or the highway? Or are differences accepted? What are the differences between me and and this girl that I'm dating? And how are the differences understood? Are they appreciated? Are they valued? Are they looked at in some way as, um, no, we're going to minimize and ignore it. They're not really there. They don't exist. We're going to make believe there's a pink elephant in the room that's not there. Or do they, um, is there this attitude of, I'll marry this person and I'll uh, get rid of this thing. I'll change them. I'll fix them. Um, is there a willingness to compromise and to have discussion about things? Do you feel comfortable disagreeing? Why and why not? I mentioned that before. So there's a couple of things to think about. Do I feel uncomfortable to disagree because it's just not nice? I was taught to be a nice guy, I was taught to be polite, it's not polite to disagree, it's not the gentlemanly thing to do. Um, Or do I feel comfortable that I could disagree? If the feeling that I'm having is not coming from my own feeling, but it's coming from the relationship, I'm not feeling like I can disagree because I'm feeling from what I experienced with this other person that I can't really be honest and open, that's something to be aware of, how am I coming across to the girl? Is she able to be comfortable agreeing or disagreeing? The general thing to be aware of is um, girls are going to be a lot harder to read on a date about what they really think and what they really feel, what their real opinions are, than guys. And so if you want to really know what a girl really thinks about something, she has an opinion. But you're going to have to really give her the belief that you want to hear the opinion. most girls, there's always going to be exceptions to every rule about guys and girls, most girls are not going to readily give their opinions on dates, about most things. Especially things about life, I'm not talking about things like do you want to go to this restaurant or that restaurant. Um, although you may have trouble on that too. But and certainly in life issues, um, you want to get into discussions, you're not going to get opinions unless you're really committed to conveying that you want to hear those opinions, that you value those opinions, um, that you respect the opinions, that you care about the fact that there's two potential different opinions and that matters to you, that there's a relationship uh, where it's not about my way or your way it's about both of us being able to put our stuff, our opinions together on the table and we'll talk about it, and we'll sort it through, and we'll we'll hear what we both um, are discussing. Um, So then we talked about what do you do to change the other person's mind? How do you make sure that you get things to go your way? Again, same thing with the girl. How does she make, how does she try to get you to change your mind and to get things to go her way? Um, I'll leave um, some of this, this I'm going to leave some, some time now for questions, but let me share with you one final thought. Um, here we have this comes from a colleague of mine, her name is Lisa Sorsky, she came up with this. The word tell, T-E-L-L, and this goes to answer one or two of the questions that some of you guys were having in terms of, so what do we do about this? right? What do you do when you encounter some of these things? I don't remember exactly how the question was worded, but um, so let's take the word tell, T-E-L-L. T stands for take what the person says or does seriously, okay? Don't think, I keep on saying this to you, don't think that what you experience in the dating or in the engagement is just, you know, something to ignore, it'll be okay, somehow, in some way, everything will just work itself out. Don't take that attitude. Take what the person says or does seriously. E, explore what bothers you. Don't assume that just because something bothers you now, it's going to get resolved later. If it bothers you now, address it now. Um, don't, Don't assume it'll just go away. L, listen to the answers. If you're really going to bring something up that bothers you, be really committed to hearing the other person's responses. In other words, take the other person as seriously as you want to be taken. And then L, let someone know. And this is the part that I mentioned, that the Rav mentioned also, is the importance of having somebody in your life, both before marriage and after marriage, that is sort of like a mentor (coughs) figure to you, somebody that you can go to, whether it's a Rav, whether it's a Mashfiyah, whether it's a a relative that you're close to, um, an older friend, but somebody in your life that you've chosen to really be open with when there's there's tough times. Now, sometimes people have this um, concern that when it comes to a relationship, everything should be completely private and it's nobody's business. And um, why would I want to go and tell somebody what's really going on in my relationship? It's not respectful to, to me or to the other person that I'm in the relationship with. And there's an element of truth in that, in the sense that it could be taken to the to the opposite extreme, where nothing is kept appropriately private. And the general rules for a marriage, not, not dating, not certainly not a dating relationship, but for a marriage is that. The gather, the wall between people has to be that the man and the wife are in the middle and nobody comes in between the man and the wife. Okay? You have God in there together with you and your wife and nobody comes first. Family doesn't come first, kids don't come first, friends don't come first, the marriage comes first. But you don't have that attitude when you're dating. You don't have that attitude when you're deciding to who you're going to put into that space together with you, who's going to be the most important relationship, the most important other person besides yourself on this planet. But during dating, you do need to have somebody that you identify, and, and certainly it should continue post-marriage as well, especially in the earlier years that you can talk to, that you're comfortable being able to go to when you're not certain if what you're encountering is a problem when you're not certain how to deal with something that might be a problem when you're feeling uncomfortable but you don't quite know how to, how to deal with it what's the right way of saying something it doesn't mean that the person's advice that you're going to is going to be the best advice but the fact that you're not just dealing with it on your own and you're opening yourself up to exploring it with somebody else even if, the, even, even if um, a few times out of every 10 times, you don't get the best advice, the, the, the odds, the chances are that you're much, much better off not having kept it to yourself and either bottling it up or just trying to, to, to resolve the situation in the way that you just f- feel makes sense to you or the only way that you know. Um, so, so the chances of it being dealt with in a more effective way go up tremendously just by opening it up and earing it out with somebody else. Don't be one of those couples that decides to get help seven years after they really should have gotten help. Be one of those couples that gets the help before you become a couple so that you're, you're, you're on the right track. Okay, so those are some of, the, some of the highlights that I wanted to make sure to cover, but I'm open to questions and answers. Questions? I'm sorry? Yeah, T was uh, take what the other person says or does seriously. Yes? I think um, I heard one of the other questions from Adina, that regarding while dating, you have certain concerns or certain things that you, that you notice in, in, uh,
0: in the other that you're dating, whether the boy, the girl, the girl, the boy. Um, that of course, it's important to discuss it with someone else, but it's wise to discuss, it, for example, not with uh, necessarily the potential future mother in law. You know, my case, it's about mother or, or somebody else discussing with their own mother. It's important to discuss with somebody that's objective.
1: Right, so you talked about the idea that who you choose to share the dating stuff that's going on with should be more of an objective party than, than the very subjective party like family members. That's a good point. No, you wouldn't want your siblings to think uh, you
0: know, less of the person that you're dating. Well, what... What
1: will naturally happen is that the people that are very, very invested in you, like family members, will automatically take your side. That's typically what's going to happen. Um, otherwise, why would we go to them? right? So we're going to them because we know that they have our back, they're, they're our family, they, they, they accept us. So they're going have they're going to take your side. they're going to automatically have some sort of perception or tie on the girl. And once um, those perceptions are there in place, they don't get um, taken away so easily, so quickly. So yes, there, there's definitely. Um, wisdom in choosing carefully—that um, that, the, uh, that um, what 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 goes back. But but again, I would also caution that that could be taken to an extreme. Everybody has a different situation with their family. Some people have family that's very very supportive and very loving and very healthy. Some people have something a lot less than that so everyone has to know their own situation and know how much of a real support in a healthy way not just in an unhealthy way of like you're always right she's always wrong or whatever you say Bobola is is, uh, worth a million dollars and she must be wrong because my my son said so you know we have to be honest with ourselves and get a sense of um, how much can we really rely on the family for for that healthy support
0: you you mentioned uh, a lot of scenarios um, and and you left them open-ended and I know you did that because you're trying to make us aware um, but just um, as a
1: professional, um, I'd like to ask you. For example, you mentioned um,
0: that s- uh, a spouse may react to a situation in bickering or or, or uh, a behavior change, etc. And um, how would you um, approach such a situation if they um,
1: if, if their behavior changes based on you know a situation and they don't know how to talk about it? How would you advise to approach the situation? So we're talking about a scenario. Let's just let's get specific then with a the what if. The scenario is that the guy is dating the girl, and the guy sees that the girl got upset about something, mm-hmm. and she shuts down and she's not talking about it in a productive, real way. And the guy notices this. Mm-hmm. What should the guy do? Right. Is am, am I following? Is that the question? Yes, but more than more than shuts down, there's a behavior change that. Can be a little bit manipulative. Well, shuts down is a, is a significant behavior change in and of itself. We shouldn't, um, which by the way, men more typically do than women, and we shouldn't. Silent well, not just silent men? treatment. So, so, you sure um, um, silent
0: treatment
1: is, um, even even, a, even before silent treatment, the idea of shutting down is the idea of becoming overwhelmed, emotionally becoming so um, flooded, so intensely feeling whatever we're feeling feeling upset, feeling hurt, feeling feeling misunderstood that we don't have the words and the calmness to be able to continue the dialogue, to continue the conversation, so as a result we shut down. Men do that more typically than women. That was the point that I was making. Okay. So, But your question is that... How do you react? So, so how does the guy deal with the girl when that's the scenario? Or what does it indicate What we were saying before that she can argue properly or can't Well, um, again, this is going to be the question of, am I seeing um, a bad day? She had, um, her boss really yelled at her today at work and um, she, I really caught her in a bad time. Or am I seeing an example of, right, is this, is this cup of beer this guy's drinking just a cup of beer or is this an alcoholic pattern? So is this, is this a pattern? Is this something I'm seeing that's larger than this situation or is this a situation? The, you're not gonna be able to know just by um, asking that question in response to one situation. There's no magic way to know the answer. The magic thing to do is to not ignore it and to say, I either need to have my eyes open as I continue in this relationship, looking out for this and seeing if and how this plays out, and or I'm going to have a a conversation about this and we're going to talk about this. So either, either, either and or of of those two options, either my eyes are now open. I'm going to see if this plays itself out. This isn't just a one-time thing where um, somebody was having a bad day or a bad moment, and or I, I want to discuss this. I want to talk about this. So, so is the question then to follow that through. How do you discuss it? Is that what
0: you'd like? to discuss it with somebody who doesn't know how to discuss it? Well. Sorry, I didn't get out. That's um, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> That's
1: perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> say that. <laughs> you say sorry, I didn't get that. So, so I, I, you, one thing you could do is try to bring the conversation up in the moment, but um, you have to use your own judgment and your own discretion. If, if the person is clearly not on their, on their, it's not in their, is not in their comfort zone, if they're thrown off, if they're not feeling right, pushing the agenda of a conversation could potentially only be more unproductive than productive. So what you may want to do, if this is already at a point where you care about this person, and you want to, you want to pursue this. It's, in other words, if this is number one date, and you already didn't like her much, and this is the nail in the coffin, I'm not, I'm not going out again, then you don't have to push the issue. But if this is a person that you already have some investment in, you have some potential investment in this relationship, then either in the moment you want to have the conversation, or you want to shelf it in the moment, and you want to come back to it. You want to have a conversation another time about it. Um, what this is a good example of what I meant before about traffic jam, not getting caught. That couples don't get caught up in traffic jams is that one of the ways to avoid the traffic jam is that you temporarily shelf something, and you come back to it. But you don't temporarily shelf something and then you never come back to it, which is um, another thing that, easy. huh? It's so it well, it's something that guys are prone to do even more. That's another guy thing. Um, if I have to generalize that, um, we'll, we'll talk about this another time and then it's done. Um, so if if the guy we, if we're the one who says, you know, let, let's shelf this for right now, uh, this is too much for me, or I don't have the space, I don't have the head for this right now. If we're the one who's saying that in the relationship, we need to be responsible to say to our spouse um, in 20 minutes, tomorrow morning. We need to make a commitment of when we're going to continue this conversation. It's um, the way the analogy that I use is um, connect the dots. You ever saw those coloring books for kids where all the older kid has to do is make a line from one dot to the next dot to the next? Eventually, if they keep on connecting the dots, you have a whole picture that comes out of that. So you have to connect the dots in your relationship. If she brought something up to me and I successfully pushed her off, is that the end of the story? Or I pushed her off for now, the next dot is that I come back to her and I continue the conversation or the topic that she wanted to discuss with me. That's called connecting the dots. So it's the same thing the other way around as well. If I experience something with this person and and I'm dating this person, this girl, and there's something that concerns me, either I make the judgment call that I'm gonna try to discuss it now or not, but if it's not, I'm going to follow it up. I'm not going to just um, act as if it didn't happen. I I wanna follow this up. You know, let's talk about last night. Let's talk about what happened. What was going on for you? Let me share with you what was going on for me. Let me tell you what I experienced, what did you experience? Let me tell you what that was like for me, what was it like for you?
0: So that's what shutting down is? That you're too emotional to put it into words? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We get emotionally flooded and um, the floodedness could happen because of anger, because of hurt, because of pain, because of fear, um, because of vulnerability, whatever it might be. It could be a mix of all of those and then we're really flooded. And we just don't have the ability to become. What happens is, the way our brain works is that we have different regions of our brain. One part of our brain, one, one area, physically, we have different areas. One part of our brain is where we think. Another part of our brain is where we speak. Another part of our brain is where we feel. When we feel very intensely, whether we're in love, whether we're very hurt, we're very angry, it doesn't matter what the feeling is, pleasant or unpleasant, it hijacks the rest of our brain. It really disables us from thinking clearly and from speaking clearly. That's why when people are angry, they don't exactly say the smartest things or, or do the smartest so things. If, if someone's that person that just shut down, what would, what would be the best way to get out of it? So a per- there is no solution when a person is shut down. Th- well, I shouldn't say there's no solution. There's very little solution for if I'm not the one who's shutting down, but it's the other person, and I'm saying, what can I do? No, I'm the one that shut down. Wait one second. I'm not gonna get to it. So so if I'm if I'm not the person, right? The girl is the one who shuts down, and I'm I want I care about that, and I I want to know what can I do about that. I could do some stuff, but not much. I could um, not push, which is only going to make it worse. I could try to cre- ask myself, what's, what are the things that makes this person feel safe? What makes this person feel comfortable? What makes this person feel uncomfortable? Obviously, when a lot of these questions are relationship questions, that when we're dating someone, we barely know each other. But we don't know the answers to these questions because we barely know each other. These are the things to think about. When a person is themselves shut down, this is, is what psych- psychologists call self-soothing. Self-soothing means the idea of being able to take some way internally inside ourselves thoughts and, and um, um, ideas and be able to apply it to ourselves to calm ourselves down. Literally to be able to imagine like we have a thermometer inside us but it's not body temperature, it's the intensity of our feeling. The intensity of our feeling is, uh, let's say, anywhere from a 6 and up is too intense to be able to have this conversation. Right now I'm at an eight. So the first thing is, I should be able to have that awareness as, as a guy, as a human being. I should be able to know my, I'm, I'm too intense right now inside me. Now everyone can have a different level of intensity. What might be too intense for me might not be too intense for you, or vice versa. So it's not set in stone. But we need to know ourselves enough to get a sense, what's too much for me? And I've gotten past that point. The next thing that I need to be able to know is, what helps me lower that? Do I need to take a walk? Do I need to get to get a breath of fresh air? Do I need to um, take some deep breaths? Do I need to um, think some nice things to myself? Do I need to take a break from the situation and come back to it later? Some people need to just sleep on it. In the morning they wake up, they feel much better, they could go back to the discussion. Everyone's different. So there's no way I could sit here and I could tell you, here's the things you're gonna do that's gonna work for you. The thing to be aware of is A, that there's this idea of the thermometer of our feelings, that we could get too intense. B, that if we get too intense, where we got problems, we got hijacked, we can't operate well, and C, to try to figure out what are the things that could work for us to self-soothe, to lower that intensity. And it doesn't have to go down to a zero, right? If we're talking about an intense um, topic, something that me and the girl feel strongly about, it's okay to continue to have strong feelings, but we have to know within ourselves when it gets too strong that at that point we're no longer able to productively think about it, to productively listen to the other person, and to have a conversation about it. Make sense. Any other questions?
0: Yeah. Yes. Would you say that according to different people,
1: their personalities, they um, should look like I'm saying before they go out, they should look for a certain type of people that's for them.
0: Like we were saying before, that there are different uh, differences between each person.
1: Um, you're asking me if there's like a certain profile, so to speak, of how we can set ourselves up for success versus challenge right. in terms of personality types? Mm-hmm. Um, there are the, um, yes, the answer is that yes. Theoretically, there are, um, there, are, there are ways to study, there are people that do this professionally, they study the idea of different personality traits and different personality types and come up with what are compatible matches between one person's type and another person's personality type, but at the end of the day, um, what really um, attracts one person to another is very, hard to, is very hard to put into words. You know, when I was dating my wife, one of the things that I found very, very endearing was that she didn't get any of my jokes. And she said to me, you know, I, I don't get jokes. So I said to her, what do you mean you don't get jokes? She said, I'm telling you, I don't get <coughs> jokes. And my wife was very smart. I knew that. I knew she was a smart person. So we were in a mall. I was in Palisades Mall on a date. I said, come with me. We went into Barnes and Nobles. I went over to the joke section. I pulled out a bunch of joke books and I started reading jokes to her. And she didn't get them. They were funny jokes. I thought that was the cutest thing. My friend who would have gone out with that girl would have thought that's such a turnoff. I'm not interested in dating this girl. So what was that? Logical? That I thought that was funny and that, she, that, that was a nice cute thing and, he, and my friend went, there's no logic to something like that. So what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, we're going to wind up being together with people, hopefully, we're going to wind up being together with people that we want to be with and they want to be with us. And, what, and that might mean that we're very different in many different ways, and it might mean we're very similar in different ways. I never would have predicted my wife on paper. You know, my own prediction of, of the type of girl that I thought I would marry is very different than the type of girl I wound up marrying. So there's only so far that those matches and personality types are going to take us in real life when we wind up being with the person. We're still going to have to deal, on some level, with differences, and we're still going to have to deal one way or another with incompatibilities. Obviously, the more mismatched... Two people are the more stressful and the more challenging the successful relationship is going to be. But you can have two people that are extremely mismatched and they could still have success. And you can have two people that are extremely compatible theoretically, and they're a disaster. So at the end of the day, it doesn't just depend on the personality type matching or not. You're still going to have to deal with two people. Still have to deal with each other. You can't get away from that. Got to deal with each
0: other. So would you say that um, if while dating? he sees that there's too many of these um, things, red flags, whatever it is, that
1: um, he should uh, move, aw- move on, or? Um, so So the question is, if we see red flags when we're dating, at some point, do we just move on? Is that, is, is that? Or do we say, okay, that's uh, deal, like you were saying before, This means that, and that means
0: this, and therefore
1: I have to um do... What we should never do, I hope I was conveying this clearly, is that when we encounter red flags, we should decide what it means or doesn't mean in our own head. Don't do that.
0: Don't generalize.
1: Tell. Take what the person is saying or doing seriously. Explore what bothers you. That's the E part of the tell. Um, And then listen to the answer. So what that means is that we're not having that dialogue in our own head. If there's a red flag, um, certainly if there's there's a, uh, a, a collection of red flags, Please, deal with it. Don't, don't assume that you've resolved it in some way in your own head or that it'll just somehow get resolved. Deal with it now when you're dating so that you have some sense of we're able to successfully communicate. Oh wow, I had no idea that that was going on for you. I'm so glad I brought this conversation up. I never would have thought in my head that, that, was, um, that that's your perspective about that. I never would have looked at it that way. You can't have a conversation on behalf of two people without the other person it just won't work. So nothing substitutes for that. So um, red flags, um, the way we're talking about it tonight, it's not red flags get out of the relationship. That's up to you. If you're one foot out the door already, you're not really interested in the girl, here's a red flag that tips it the other way and you say, okay, I'm done, I don't wanna date her anymore. So that's your decision. Mike, what we're trying to say is, if you are invested in the relationship and you do want this to work, the way to make this actually work is to not ignore those red flags and to deal with them in a real way, that's the point. When you say deal with them, do you mean discuss them and try to figure yes. out a way how to No, not figure it. out a way. The emphasis shouldn't be, this is a very important thing when it comes to communication, problem solving. When you have a problem in a relationship with another person, don't worry about the solution. As guys, we tend to think solution. How are we going to fix this issue? What do we need to do? When it comes to relationships, that's not what we need to do. It's sort of counterintuitive for a lot of men. What What we need to do is focus on the problem. If I can talk about the problem, and you can hear the problem, and you and I together can understand that this is a problem, we've already accomplished 80% of the solution. Okay, I'll say it again. If I am able to, when I say I, I mean either the guy or the girl, doesn't matter who's initiating and who's listening and responding. It doesn't matter. If if party A, more than awareness, is that we've joined together in identifying, understanding, and agreeing what the problem is. Okay? So, um, I'm married. I want to send my kid to this yeshiva. My wife wants to send my kid to another yeshiva. I don't know. I'm just thinking of an example. So, I could think the solution is, which yeshiva? That's the solution, is what... Which yeshiva the kid gets sent to? My yeshiva that I want or her yeshiva? That's not solution. Solution when it comes to the relationship is that together we're able, through communication, to talk about why I feel strongly about what I do, and why she feels strongly about what she does, and why she feels strongly against what I want, and I feel strongly against what she wants, and we hear each other, and we understand each other, and we know that we hear each other, we both feel that we know and we hear and understand each other. That's 80% of the solution right there. Well, where's the kid gonna go? At the end of the day, the kid's <laughs> gonna have to go somewhere, right? <laughs> Someone's gonna be upset, I mean, yeah. In, I in, mean, a successful, in a successful relationship, research shows, what we know, What we know We know a lot, a lot of good, good information about successful marriages. What we know about marriages is that um, certain problems in marriages remain, a certain um, Problems. I'll, I'll use the word problem, because when I say problem, all I mean is something that hasn't been solved yet, right? Like Lamashal which, which yeshiva to send the kid to. Certain problems in, in marriages will always be problems. Lamashal. If I'm a spender and my wife's a saver, you think tomorrow morning I'm waking up and I'm becoming a saver? Or my wife is going to wake up tomorrow morning and become a spender? It's not happening. If you marry and you're the spender or the saver and the other, the other one's the other way, that is in all likelihood going to continue to be a reality in some way, shape, or form for your whole life. I'm a family person. I love spending time uh, visiting family. My wife, um, you know, running around to to in-laws and to parents. My wife is comfortable being home. You think that my nature, my personality of how I like to spend my time is going to drastically change or my wife's nature is going to? No, it's not going to change.
0: No, you don't necessarily come to a compromise. No, to you, degree
1: degree to a compromise. you learn how to live with the differences. Not every so situation you just said, what do you do? The half the weeks so the kid goes, the the goes to this, you see half the week the kid goes to that you uh, It's not, it's not no, very compromisable. I'm,
0: I'm talking about spending your time so you spend But
1: not every situation, my point was, that not every situation is compromisable. So it's, the emphasis this is where this is why I'm trying to get you guys. the emphasis should be not so much on what will the mice the solution be, as much as how do we get there? As long as What's the, heard, they're both prepared. right. So right. I did, I did. As long as we both feel cared for, as long as we both feel heard, as, both, as long as we both feel like our feelings for each other, our regard for each other, is not getting lost in the name of the topic, then we have a successful relationship. Even if we're agreeing to disagree, even if one of us is upset that, you know, I really can't stand this issue that my son goes to, but I'm the wife, so, you know, I make the decision about the girls. But there's no right or wrong way how these things happen. Every marriage, they, they decide... <coughs> every husband and wife decide how to resolve things in their own way. There's no right or wrong about it. The right or wrong is in the process, not in the solution. Am so I making sense in to everyone? He's nodding his head, but I want to make sure you're all nodding your head. So I bring a third party into the... <coughs> because you don't... When you bring a third party in, this is an important an important point. When you go to a rough, you can go to a rough for three different reasons. You can go to a rough to pass a Shilo you can go to a Rav to be Shail Etzah, and you can go to a Rav to get chizuk. When you go to a Rav, you need to know why you're going to a Rav. The Rav won't necessarily know. The Rav might think, you're coming to me because I'm the Rav, so you want me to pass them. So the Rav gives you an opinion. You weren't going for an opinion. You were going to, to, to facilitate a dialogue with you and your wife. As an adult, we need to know what we're looking for when we go to someone. It's not just true for a Rav. That's an obvious example for a Rav. When we have someone in our life, like we were talking about before, someone that we're choosing to let in, to go to, why are we going to that person? Nine times out of ten, we shouldn't be going to that person for a psak. It should be this way or it should be that way. It's to facilitate. It's to facilitate the relatedness. That's the real main purpose. So you're basically saying when, when you can't communicate and you can't get to that purpose you need to go to the third party and he shows both people what they mean? Well, can communicate might be part of the problem, but it might not just be about communication. Um, Communication is only one piece of what makes a successful marriage. It may not have to do with communication, it may have to do with just um, other issues that are equally, if not more important, but at least as important. How, how um, How much quality time is spent between the husband and the wife, in terms of just the relationship itself. Life happens, we get married, life is we're we're busy, we're stressed. How much time do we spend in the relationship? So what what if the wife feels in the marriage neglected? She feels like her husband's a stranger. She feels like her husband spends more time um, at work. I mean, not not deals, it's usually a fact, it's not a feeling, right? So then the quality so so the person that you're going to may not just be there to pass in you know right or wrong, but to facilitate um, an issue in the marriage that needs to be resolved. It may be a communication issue, how to talk about a topic or how to come to a decision about something, but it may not be a communication issue. There are many other issues in marriage that are not just communication issues. Any other questions? You're all good. <laughs> Wonderful.